I'm not going to go into a ton of details just about our, uh, what we're actually going to do with our ministry this, during this time. But if you want to hear more about that, come visit us over there. Really what I want to focus on today is a pretty, well, simple question of, uh, you know, what, what does God's word say is the most basic thing that someone needs to do to get saved? Oh, what did I just do? Oh, there we go. So what does it say? Like Romans 10, 13, right? It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now does, that, now, does the Bible stop there? Does, you know, Romans 10 stop at that verse? Of course not. Rhetorical question. It goes on and says, you know, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear him unless someone tells them? Paul kind of addresses this, I guess, logical train of thought, like, okay, Say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But wait a second, let's take a step back. How can they call on someone unless they believe in him? And better yet, how can they believe in somebody if you know, they don't know him, if they haven't heard about them? And well, how do you hear about someone? Well, you got to have someone tell them, right? And those last two, I guess, rhetorical questions I kind of want to hone in on just for a second. So how do people hear about God? How do they hear it? Is it just what we hear, you know, in the news about God or from friends or, you know, just hearsay or even from, you know, your pastor or from me? Is that how we know who God is? It's not, right? Like, we have a basis of that. With God's word, right? That's the basis of how we know who God is. And, uh, man, if it doesn't say, you know, if anything someone says that contradicts the Bible, well, that's not going to be true. So that's, that's kind of the first thing. It goes on, the last question, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So God's word is the basis of who God is. And guess what? It's believers. They are the primarily, uh, primarily supposed to share about who God is. So we need God's word. We need God's people, Right? So, surprisingly, it may be surprising to a lot of people, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in Kansas, rural Kansas, middle of nowhere, and I grew up unchurched, unsaved, all that stuff. And uh, I never read the Bible growing up. I didn't know anything about the message of it. Never had anyone really even teach me about Jesus. Only knew Jesus as a, a cuss word for all sake, you know. We read like in Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is pretty clearly described as being light. And well, what's the opposite of light? Darkness, right? Makes sense. And uh, so God's word is light. God's people elsewhere is also described as being light. So light. You know, I, in my culture, I had access to God's word. And I had, you know, access to God's people in my culture. You know, I could have ran into them anywhere. I, you know, could walk to the nearest bookstore and get a book in English. I could go to Walmart, go online, whatever. I could find a, the Bible in English. And I could also, like, drive to pretty much any street corner in Kansas, and there would be a church there. And I could, you know, learn from them about what God's Word says. 
For me, although I grew up outside of the church, and I eventually did actually run into some fellow followers of Jesus in college who actually ended up sharing the gospel with me. And uh, that's a whole long story, but just to make it condensed. They shared the gospel with me, and I took a step back and was like, man, are you crazy? Like, what, what is this hearsay about some guy living 2,000 years ago and dying for my sins? Like, what? You know, sounded pretty crazy, but I, as I started to hear more, I thought, man, what, what if they are right? There's a chance that they might be right. I should probably look into it, do the logical thing, I guess, and started looking into asking questions about Christianity and also the other major world religions, and eventually came down to the fact that, yeah, Christianity does make the most sense. It is the most logical and most complete worldview, and came to know the Lord as my Savior uh, while I was in college my freshman year. And, you know, obviously the Lord continued to work on me and grow, and uh, eventually I ran into uh, this person to my right, so... (laughs) So a lot of people are surprised to hear that in a culture like ours where there's so many opportunities to run into God's people, God's word, to know the truth, they're surprised that Chisholm didn't run into it until college. But what I want to talk to you guys about is actually what did it even take for us to get God's word at all, right? It was hard for me growing up in the church to imagine what it's like to not know the truth of God's word. You know, you can't unsee the light, but we even more than that, don't tend to think about what did it take for us to be able to see at all? How did we get an accurate understanding of who God is in our language to be passed on for generations so that we could still have it today? So Bible translation, that's what we're talking about, right? What does it take? Well, the first thing that we need if you're going to translate the Bible is an orthography. Okay. Any of you guys, were any of you guys at Camp Gilead and heard any of this before? Okay, I've got, got a few. Okay, so don't, don't give away all the answers yet, but if they don't guess it, then I'll, I'll let you help me out. So, does anybody know what an orthography is? Got a guess in the back. Grammar and punctuation. Grammar and punctuation. You're close. It's kind of in that realm, but it's actually a little more basic than that. Got a guess? A writing system. Yeah. Good job. You got it. Not many people guess that one, right? Well, okay, the writing system. Why do I bring that up? Did you know that today there are actually over 3,000 languages that are unwritten? Living languages. That's almost 50% of the world's languages that have never been written. All right? So that means that the only way they pass on truth is a game of telephone. Not very accurate. And if you look at history, it will actually prove that this is true. So at one time, almost all of North Africa was actually reached, but... When Islam came through in the 4th century, the only three places where Christianity was able to withstand Islam was where Coptic, Ethiopic, and Syriac were spoken. Those were the only three dialects that had God's word translated into their heart language. Everywhere else, it died out. So having a written translation is essential for an accurate understanding of truth. Well, okay, writing system. If we don't have one, what do we need to get it? We need to know two things. First thing we need to know for the language is their phonetics. That's what they're actually saying. If you recognize that part of that phone from telephone, that just means sound. Etic is the outsider's perspective. And then phonemics, that's what they think they're saying. This is the insider's perspective. 
What does that mean? Okay, let's take English. I want you all to know that if you're bad at spelling, you're not. English <laughs> is bad at spelling. If you have a good orthography, there will never be any spelling bees. So these two words in English, if we were to recreate English with a logical spelling system, we'd have two consonants, right? What are our consonants in these words? L and P, right? Leap and peel, so L and P. And then we've just got that E sound, which in the international phonetic alphabet is written with an I, kind of more like Spanish. So, right? Three letters, simple. Easy. But it's not that simple. Because we don't actually say what we think we're saying. Do I have any Spanish speakers in the room, I think? You guys know this, all right? We say things differently than what we think. So when we have these consonants at different places in words, we say them differently. If I were to switch these around, the L and the P at the beginning of the end of these words, instead of saying leap, we would say leap. Hmm. Instead of saying peel, we would say peel. Hmm, sounds just a little bit different. And you would probably notice this. I bet you, if you've learned another language or if you learned English, you can tell there's just something different about the way they say the sounds because every language has a different variety of sounds. Spanish has slightly different vowels. Their consonants are slightly different. So like we would say taco, but they would say taco. We just change them slightly. And you can tell that it's different, but there's actually a way you can figure out using statistics and different things, the wisdom that God has given man, figure out what do they actually think they're saying so that when we create an alphabet for them, or I say a writing system because not all are alphabets. Yeah. When we create their writing system, it's going to be logical for them, not the way we think. So that's what we need just to get a writing system to start translating, all right? Orthography. But then we need sustainable literacy. Now, I say this just because while there are some a good percentage of languages that are written, there's still a lot that don't really have many people that use them. So you might have a writing system, but nobody's literate, or not very many people. So that's just something to keep in mind, that there's even bigger need than the, just those unwritten ones. There's some that just don't have many literate people. Yeah. And next, there's this whole deal with grammar. Ooh, I don't like grammar, but some people do. <laughs> And one of those things is, so have you guys ever heard of the phrase a word-for-word -word translation? Like, yeah, like the ESV is sometimes marketed as a word-for-word. Or for an word, ESV, a lot of them. Yeah, all those are kind of marketed as a word-for-word -word translation. And, you know, the idea is great of a word-for-word -word translation, but I kind of bet that the phrase word-for-word -word translation was not made up by a linguist or a Bible translator. It was probably made up by a marketing person because one of our teachers in our training, his name was Dave Brunn, and he wrote this book, One Bible, Many Versions. And he kind of details out some of the interesting... The hurdles yeah, of, of word-for-word -word translation. Yeah. So he worked with the Lamo guy people in uh, Papua New Guinea. And... Uh, one of the phrases that, uh, if you were to translate word for word in Talamagai, is this phrase here. God is his insides going towards. Do you have any idea what that means? It's okay if you don't, because... It doesn't make sense doesn't in Lamagai either. Yeah, it doesn't make sense in Lamagai, and the reason for that is grammar. So that's the phrase, God is love. 
The thing about llama guy is love cannot be a noun. So and it can't be a noun. So it has to be a verb and a verb that has an actor, someone doing the loving, and someone that has the loving being done to. So the phrase God is love doesn't make sense. So man, how do you do a word-for-word translation of that? So we approach like 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Man, how do you translate that? Are we going to have to like add to the Bible? Does it tell you who yeah. is doing the loving or who is being loved? Yeah. So Bible translators have a big hurdle, like you said, Sarah, to jump through. And the thing is, God has given wisdom to man to understand what is the context of this Versus trying to get across. And he gave wisdom to Dave Brun when he uh, translated this to say, people who love people are patient. Makes sense, right? Is it a word-for-word translation? Not necessarily. Is it true to the original true? meaning? I would I think say so. so. Yeah. So that's grammar. Another one is... Culture. Culture. Okay, how does this affect translation? Ooh. All right, going back to this idea of word-for-word word translation. Great idea, but doesn't always work. All right. Does anyone have any idea what this means? She slid in on a shrimp sandwich. Ooh. Any guesses? Throw in ideas. Go ahead. <laughs> what? She's hungry. She's hungry? Yeah, okay. Uh, any other thoughts? Do any of you guys remember what I mean? No, you didn't hear? Okay. Well, this obviously means that she was born privileged. Clearly. Right? right? Yeah. No, not really. This is, I believe this is from South America, yeah. right? But we don't always talk literally. Yeah. Well, here's another one for another you. Another one. Go kill a snake. What do you think that means? Literally, go kill a snake. Thinking literal here, are we? <laughs> Break, break a leg. I like it. Yeah. Now you're thinking yeah. in idioms, right? Any other thoughts? The best I could do. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Take a hike. Take a hike. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. See, that's that's kind of what Get I would think. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Of all things, it actually means go use the restroom. <laughs> so if any of you need to sneak out, you can just say you're gonna go kill a go, snake. Go kill a snake. Yeah. <laughs> All right, how about this one? Eat the arrow. This one actually makes a little bit of sense. What? Bite the bullet? Okay, I like it. That's, I think that was my initial thought, too. Drop dead? <laughs> yeah. Humble yourself. I like mm. it, yeah? I mean, I think there would be a little bit of that when you have this happen to you. you know, yeah, oh, well. I, <laughs> Hopefully. All right. Take the sacrifice? Yeah. All right, so it's actually a little bit less spiritual. It just means to go the wrong way on a one-way street. So to correct yourself, you kind of have to humble yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> going, I guess. All right, we got one more for you. <laughs> the last one. This one's from, I think, Mexico. Yes. The farmer went out and hung up his tennis shoes. Time to work. Retired? Yeah. Any other thoughts? Done for Done the for day. The, yeah, You're getting yeah. closer. You just might need to think a little bit darker. Yeah. What did I hear? Kick the bucket. Yeah, kick the bucket. Yeah. Killed himself. Right? 
very dark. But you know what? If you think about it, we actually do tend to use a lot of idioms when we talk about, about death. death. Definitely. We don't usually say it literally. Yeah. Kick the bucket, like someone said. Mm -hmm. Then, okay, those were all extra biblical, but let's think about actual, you know, in the Bible. The Bible uses idioms too, crazy enough. So Mark 7, 21 says, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts. So what, what, is, what is the heart? The soul. Seed of the emotions. Seed of the emotions, yeah. Yeah. But what literally is the heart? Yeah, your blood pump. Yeah. So, so from within, out of your blood pump of man proceed evil thoughts. Okay, so I guess we just need to cut out this heart, right? That's and, what we're teaching people, yeah. isn't it? No, that, that's of course not mm, what this means, right? No. Yeah. And it's funny enough, like in other cultures, the seed of emotion or the, the soul where... That idea. idea. Is sometimes another organ, like maybe your bowels or your kidneys or In your fact, liver. In fact, I think Hebrew might actually be, be different. The and they may have liver. shifted this to heart for English. Yeah. But that's something you may have to think about. Well, it may be just slightly off. Well, maybe they understand it, but it's going to sound funny to them. So that's something we have to think about. What do you do there? Do you just translate it literally? Do you do a more meaning base? There's no perfect answer, but you have to think about these things when we're giving them what is the real message behind this. And here's another one out of Job, actually, Job 29.4, in my autumn days. What does that sound like to us? In your old age. Right, yeah. old age. Sense. Well, funny story, it's normally actually translated as this, in my prime. Huh. Or in your youth. In my youth, yeah. Well, the thing about Hebrew culture is the autumn days was the days not of, you know, winter or going into winter. It was the day of harvest, of plenty, of reaping your what you have been sown. Like, that's your prime of your life. So you could translate it literally, and we think we understand it, but we're actually hearing the exact opposite of the intended meaning. Yeah. And then that's not even to account for all these... You know, million-dollar oh, church boy. words, you know, love, righteousness, sin, holiness. Those, these big words that have a lot wrapped up to them that, you know, other cultures might not even have a word or an idea for that. And then, you know, we don't even talk about how do you translate God? What word do you use? Yeah, do you make up a word? Do you use one that's already in their culture? Like, think of, like, Islam, for example. Like, their word for God is Allah. Is Allah... The same as God? Mm. What do you do there? I hope you're starting to see that it's not just so simple to plug and play, but it actually requires a lot of, not just thought, but a deep understanding of how these people think. Someone had to have this for English to understand how we think, to be able to get not just the words, but the message of what God really intended us to hear. Because unlike Islam or other religions, we don't believe that God's word is just a bunch of special words. It's not a formula. That's why we translate it, because there's actually a message, message behind, it. behind it. So all that, though, is just a tiny glimpse into what it took for somebody to get us God's word in our language. 
But I want to talk to you guys about something beyond just us. So Chisholm shared earlier about how he grew up not knowing God's word, not having a church background, and he was unsaved, right? Unsaved, unaware, but he was within the reach of God's word because somebody translated all of that for us years ago. He shared this passage, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells him? But you know what? Verse 15 comes right after this. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So I grew up just the opposite of Chisholm. I grew up in the church. I don't even know how old I was when I got saved because it was just so duh to me. I saw my parents' relationship with God. I saw people in my church who were faithful. I was memorizing God's word from so young that, you know, it's just always been there for me. So I don't know when I came to know the Lord. I've always had this. And it's hard to imagine not having it at all. Well, by the time I graduated high school, I thought I knew God's word like the back of my hand. But for some reason, I still decided, eh, it wouldn't hurt to go to Bible school and get to know it a little better. Big mistake. <laughs> Being sarcastic here. But one, because I ran into him. Eh. But two, the really big reason was because what I didn't know about God's word ruined my life. See, I grew up hearing stories from the Bible all the time. The story of Abraham, right? This guy that lived thousands of years ago, and he had this great faith. He trusted God when he asked him to do something crazy. But what I didn't realize was that the story of Abraham is not about Abraham at all. In fact, it's about what God does through Abraham. Because he says to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, which that word just means to kneel and honor with gifts. So Abraham, I'm going to kneel and honor you with gifts, and you're going to honor others. And through you, through the people who come from you, I'm going to kneel and honor all the peoples of the earth with gifts. Well, what does Matthew 1 start with? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Could there be a greater blessing or gift to honor people with than the Savior himself? Or, you know, the truth about God that came through his people? Jesus came from Abraham. And then what did Jesus tell his followers in Matthew 28. We heard it just earlier. Does anyone know? Pastor notes. <gasps> Go, right? <laughs> Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, Go and make disciples of the Jews. Oh, is that what it says? Oh, oh, oh no. I'm sorry. No. Oops. All the nations. That word there in Greek is ethnos, which is where we get words like ethnicity, ethnic, means individual ethnic people groups. Does that sound maybe a bit like through you I will bless all the peoples of the earth? Hmm. Hmm. I had never, I grew up hearing these stories all the time and never realized that there was a greater world outside of me and what God was doing in that. But how many of these people groups are still waiting? And that's really the thing that got me. You got, I want to show you guys something here real quick. Yeah, this is a small here. little list. You got it? So I remember the chapel in Bible school where I first saw this list rolled out. 
And I said earlier that what I didn't know about God's word really ruined my plans for my life. And this was kind of the nail in the coffin for me because I had these grand plans to go do things. But I started to realize that just like Paul said in Romans, there was still a big need for people to be sent. See, there's lots of people like Chisholm, and I knew this, who were unsaved, unaware, but within reach. But this is a list of people who are unsaved, unaware, and completely out of reach. That's why we call them unreached people groups. All that stuff we were talking about, Bible translation, there are still that many people who have Bibles that look like this. This is all the truth they have available to know about God. They have no way of knowing who he is at all. And so as I started to think about this as I was in Bible school and I looked at my plans for my life, I kind of got to thinking, man, do I have a better plan for my life than being part of seeing what God will do to reach every single one of these people groups? Because like Paul said, it's not enough just to share with our neighbors. We need to do that. But if people aren't sent, no one will ever just run into these people and share God's word because no one who knows God speaks their language. And so that is why, for me, for us, and for the many people we are praying for, God is leading people to continue to go. Yeah. That list, if you guys look at it, is pretty overwhelming. I think that's 2,000 people groups that do not have God's word in their heart language. And there's even more that technically are unreached than that. They might have God's word, but not many know it. Yeah. Or don't have very many believers in their language. I think it's important to keep in mind, okay, what, how is this whole thing going to end? And, you know, the Lord graciously gave us the book of Revelation, and we see there it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we know how the story is going to end. And uh, the question we like to leave with a lot of people is, man, this is the job of the whole church. It's not just for, you know, the missionaries that go or anything like that. In fact, we actually take up the smallest part, I would say, of the grand goal of the church and of God. And we kind of like to use this little illustration of a bow and arrow. You know, there's several parts to a bow and arrow, and they all have to work together to function effectively. So if we look at, you know, the arrow or the, the arrowhead point, like that's the smallest piece of an arrow. And that's the thing that makes contact with a target. Same way, the missionary is the, or the church planner is the person that makes contact with the people group that they're going to. But behind that, there's this, you know, the whole shaft of the arrow. And we look at that as like support missionaries, people like pilots, like the bookmans and uh, supply buyers, and trainers, and... Literacy and language consultants. Consultants, yeah, or... You know any IT guys? Because every field needs IT guys. Yeah, that's true. Big need there. (laughs) So there's all these support roles to keep that missionary on the field. And behind that, there's a fletching, right? And the point of the fletching is to stabilize that arrow so it'll actually hit the target. Same way, that's similar to, like, leadership in the mission, you know, they'll keep in the missionary on target, as well as mission or uh, leadership in the church as well. You know, missions committees, uh, church leadership, all that stuff that helps keep the missionary on target. But the biggest part of that illustration is the bow, right? 
That's the biggest brunt of this illustration. And that's, that's going to be the whole church, the church coming around this work to go and make disciples of a different nation and an unreached people group. And that's, there are multiple ways to be involved in that, too. There's you know, praying for this mission work, praying for more laborers on, to go into the fields because the, labor, or the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But it also is supporting them welcoming them when they're on furlough, all this stuff. So we, we like to just kind of leave with this, this prayer in mind and uh, just ask that you guys would think about how, I'm sure you guys are already involved in many ways, but just how is the Lord leading you in praying, giving, and maybe even going um, as well. So I'm going to end uh, by praying this little prayer. So uh, He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Lord, we pray that and uh, just pray that you would continue to send people on and uh, just that more people would uh, decide to go and uh, just change this uh, world one people group, one person at a time. So. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.